0: I have to work on my like intro because I've never intro a podcast. Right, what's
1: your tagline?
0: I know, ask me something good, but not too cheesy, right?
1: Right, right. All right, let's get started.
0: Welcome to Finding Leadership. I'm your host, Daniel Byers. And in today's episode, we sit down with Mark Brunton. He's an accomplished educator, leader, and professional in the world of pharmacy tech, and healthcare, and he is all about motivating teams. So join us as we learn about what it takes to get your people ready to do the work.
1: Mark, tell us about yourself. Um, I came up in the world of pharmacy tech uh, for, for about 10 years. Then I became an educator for over 15 years now and moved into, during that time, the role of program chair, where I would supervise other Pharmacy Technician Instructors. And then now I, I currently serve in the role of Director of Curriculum Development uh, for the institution I work at. Now I work with program chairs for all of the different disciplines to to collaborate and work on curriculum development. Along with that, I've, I've, I've had the pleasure of serving on Uh, P-TECH, which is the Foreign State Technician Educators Council, as uh, their president for the the two years of the term, and various other extracurricular activities.
0: So in all those, it sounds like leadership is an important role of that. What's kind of your your focus to being a leader? I mean, I know we all have our own different approaches, right? So like some people say they want to be more facilitators of this. What would you say your approach to all that is?
1: Much along those lines. And... I did not start that way because um, I didn't understand some of those concepts, but absolutely now at this point it is, it is motivation and, and facil- facilitating uh, the growth of others that I work with or that are there that under me. Um, at first it was very, uh, I'm the boss you do what I say, because I didn't know any better, um, but this way seems to work uh, best in my
0: experience. You know, I totally get that. So when, when I first started a leader, I did the same thing. I was like, yeah, I'm the boss. If you don't do it my way, here's my list of 10 pages of expectations for every employee. And if you don't do this, you're going to get ran up. If you don't do this, you're going to do extra duty. And that really didn't work for me. It it really didn't like, I remember at the end of that year, one of my employees who was a student worker who was graduating kind of drew the short straw to, to kind of come talk to me on behalf of everyone said, look, we don't like this here's what we think is effective. And that was my big turning point to realize leadership was a more relational thing. Um, Do you have a moment like that where you started to realize this doesn't work? This is why motivation is so important.
1: I'm trying to think. I know there's a time where that happened, where there was like the shift. I don't know if it was as um, confrontational as as you might've went through. I'm sorry for that. That sucks for both you and Whoever drew the short stick on that one. Um, I think there was a point where I was more confident in what needed to be done and how it could be done and that I was right in those things that I didn't have to prove it. And so in kind of understanding um, the, the necessary, this, this is you know what we are able to do, and let's let's get there. I think a lot of the "I'm the boss and you have to do what I say" comes from a, a an insecurity in many respects. You're not, you know, if that makes sense.
0: It makes total
1: sense. I think that especially for young
0: leaders who are are new in the role, there's this kind of pressure to perform as a leader, and that the easiest route between points A and B is always this is what I say: do it or else. Um, but that takes us to talking about the state of leadership. We're, we're living in a world now where to be a good leader is such a complex and nuanced thing. And what we're learning is that ability to motivate a team is so important. And so when we're talking about the state of leadership today, um, and in your experience leading students, leading colleagues, and now leading faculty members, um, how do you really define the state of leadership when it comes to motivating? How is that
1: important to the role now? it's a very good question tying back to the to what we were saying about the insecurity it's like the the imposter syndrome where i don't know if i really should be here and kind of fake it till you make it kind of starting point i think is where that stems from uh but in terms of of nowadays and and here's my motivation uh, is such an important factor of that like how do we get our teams to do what what we need them to do what we want them to do is i equate it to like power steering on the car power steering and cruise control if your team is motivated to go in the direction you want them to it's like having those things it's so much easier if they're not then it's like you have like you lost your power steering and i don't know if you've ever had that happen but cranking that wheel around to try and turn a corner is it's a pain you know so i, I think it's it's it, it makes everything smoother when you can get them motivated um with the vision and the goals
0: makes sense so as a leader in, in today's world talking about this idea that makes life so much easier if your team is moving in the same direction you're your car is steering. And I have had that happen, by the way, not, not a pretty experience. Um, so when we talk about that in your role, what, what do you do to bring that energy to your team? What do you do to bring that, that team together?
1: So I geek out, I geek out on the things that, that really, uh, that I'm passionate about and hope that that kind of energy, um, cause them to also want to get on board with with whatever initiatives uh, we're trying to do or whatever direction we're trying to go. Um, but that has to be tempered I feel with a a calming mentality. So like there's a choice when to go into that, but they also have to know that everything's fine. Like no matter what's what chaos may be occurring and and oftentimes it's a lot and and all of or various industries, change is a constant and it can seem very chaotic and people can kind of lean into that and and uh, that makes it a lot rougher of a ride, you know, but the ability to kind of have that person that's like, we're, we're going to get through this, we're fine and here's how we're going to do it and that's where the, the excited energy comes in. I think there's a balance there that helps cause uh, people to be able to navigate those dynamics
0: makes total sense um so i love
1: what you said right there about
0: you know showing that this is something you're passionate about and that's your energy because i think getting the the team to buy into what you're trying to do um is is kind of half the battle i think we've all been there right where we've had that team of uh, individuals who no matter what you say they are not going to be on board with what you want and trying to get the team at least mostly to the point where they're more or less on board with you and moving forward. That that speaks a lot. And bringing that passion is something I care about and being open and honest with that. Um, I think that's a big deal. So how do you celebrate those accomplishments when the team gets there? How do you along the way kind of find that point where like, great, we're all on the same page. How do we celebrate this now to keep that momentum going?
1: Oh, that's a great question. And I have definitely had those experiences with individuals who were not uh, necessarily on board with with the overall mission and you could tell. but to sell I mean I guess it depends on the what I most often do <laughs> is just uh, food. Uh, there's a reason that I see food being the thing that no matter what industry I've worked in, if you have food that is a good um, place to, to, to celebrate a win or to share success. That's why, that's why the team, uh, after little league goes out for pizza, right? Um, I would take my, my instructors, uh, to actually, actually to a pizza place that was right around the It's great pizza. And I said, we're going to go here and this is our reward for accomplishing this task or this goal. And they get very excited about it they knew I was paying for it of course and it was good food (laughs) we would go there and you know um have sit down and, and break bread together and talk about whatever I didn't even make it work related it was that camaraderie that is born when you share food together so it's a powerful thing that
0: is really powerful and it is so true how food kind of holds into that right but i wonder have you had challenges where you've had team members maybe something happened mid project or they just never you know kind of bought it in the first place that just became disengaged and uh can you tell us a little bit about that and how you kind of handled that as the leader
1: yeah the most memorable one was where i i came into a leadership role and there were people there that were that were there before me and so who's this Who's this guy coming in? He's now our boss. I don't. I don't have this shared history with this person to to know what he's capable of, and I don't trust him necessarily to to be correct in the vision of of what I wanted to do with the program. And it was. I knew that. I knew that going in. There, I was like, I'm going to have to to you know um, get them to to see what I see and what could be done and, and want and get the buy-in like you were talking about. I had to figure out the most creative ways to do that where it didn't feel like I was trying to do that. So in that particular instance, which I also find useful even at, at lesser degrees of non-engagement is to try and find something that interests them, a particular person, like if you're disengaged why? What can we do to fix that? What would engage you? Is it a project? Is it a certain area of the position that, that you like and want to, to dig into? Because then it won't feel like work, right? Um, it ties into, I think, the areas of where we see disengagement, even from ones who were previously engaged, and they want and they, they slowly become less so. Most often, Not the only time, but most often what I've seen being the factors for that are a feeling of being undervalued, not listened to, lack of a a clear vision or or culture with the department or the organization to to fall back on, uh, and a lack of explanation. Sometimes we don't want to, we're reluctant to explain certain things, because either we feel we don't have to, or we don't feel they they need to know needs no basis kind of thing. But if they are kept in the dark, if they feel that they're not valued as a worker, as an employee, then then that breeds that disengagement. So then attacking those things, you know, how do we how do we give you that value? How do we make you feel like what you do matters, right? And let's explain to you why we do things, even if it's not in, even if it's not the answer they wanna hear, right? If, if, if they're like, we should do this. And he said, yes, I, I hear what you're saying, but we, we're gonna do this and here's why, right? I, I value your point and I understand where you're coming from, but we're not gonna make the decision but here's why we're not going to make that decision. At least we've given them a reason. It's not as like I didn't choose it because it was your idea. It's not a you thing. There's something bigger in that decision. And if they're made aware of that, uh, even to a small degree, at least they feel like they can get on board with that. Most people, I think, can will we'll go along with something if they have a reason, even if they don't agree with it versus not. I know I went down a rabbit hole on that one, but I think those are some of the things Uh, to address, to to help with engagement.
0: I absolutely agree with you. I think that a lot of what you said is important to go on with engagement and trying to re-engage employees, right? But as I was listening to you talk, I couldn't help but think that there are a lot of kind of corporate environments or maybe leadership cultures out there where the, the standard mentality would be if an employee is underperforming or if an employee doesn't seem to be playing by the team expectations anymore, that it's just walk away, you know, bad hands walk away and move on from the employee versus what you were talking about, which is really figure out what the employee needs to be successful, then help work towards that. What would you tell leaders that are coming from those paradigms? Like what are the benefits of instead of saying, I can just replace this guy, it's too much work. Why is it worth the work to do all this, you know, work
1: through with the employee one-on-one and re-engage them? Here's what I think on that. There have been numerous studies and and, Reports on the the cost of retraining when you have to lose an employee and and how it's a, a cost that's not always uh, considered and and how high it can be and that's one factor, especially from uh, the business world and and looking at those numbers for me personally i I relish that challenge like and that's and it's not always one you can win, but it is one that should be attempted because every single person there's there's a reason. There's a reason they they get up to go to work and it may be as straightforward as I need a paycheck. Okay, well, how can we build on that? If you need a paycheck, that's great. Let's let you have fun while earning that paycheck. You know, I want to teach students. Okay, well, let's find a way for you to be able to teach those students better. And that to me is, is essentially the role of a leader is to to take something, someone, a group, a department, a employee, and make them better by leading them down a path of development. If you're not doing that, then I don't think we deserve that title, you know, or that, that, that name as a, a leader. Then if, if, if it's just, if you can't get on board with my thing, then bye. Because that's, I think we can find with every single person something. And it, it's the identification of that, uh, that thing that works for them. That makes you a good leader, anyway.
0: So, do you have a big success story with someone like that, where you don't have to name names or specifics or anything like that? But have you had that moment where you've seen an employee turnaround, where you said, "I'm going to invest in you a little bit," and they come back and they own it, and they end up being a rock star?
1: Yes, 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 indeed. It was it was an employee that was not not a, not feeling the the corporate. And it was a corporate entity that, that ran the institution that we all worked at and they weren't on board with the vision uh, of, of the, the corporate entity and was just doing the bare minimum in order to, you know, get to, to not, uh, not be deficient and not have to go on reporting or be coached, things like that. But I knew we could see more. And it was a matter of shifting the focus a little bit away from what the corporate vision was to what our department's vision was. Why are we doing this? We're doing this for, in this case, uh, the students. And that's what our motivation is, regardless of what you believe or don't believe further up the food chain, we need to work here. And how are we gonna do this for this purpose? And why do we wanna do it? and the articulation of those things when asked, when worked through it with the employee, said, you know, why, why do you wanna do this? And really asking those questions, how can we do this better? What would make you excited to come into work every day? Tell me what that would be, what that looks like. And while the the end result wasn't necessarily exactly what they said, it was in that direction. And they can get on board with that compromise, and so the the instructor turned it around. the The survey results from the students got better. The engagement was better in the classroom. The engagement with me and fellow instructors was better. There was a noticeable change uh, in the general um, competency and demeanor of the instructor. You know, and and that was that was great to watch because it was it was. Uh, there was a point where it was like, we might, you know, we might have to find someone else and then we didn't have to. So that was good.
0: That's awesome. You know, I, I think it's always exciting to see those turnaround points. So I've got another one for you. So mm-hmm. I warned you before you came on, I may have some other examples come and talk about because you're the expert. Why not bring some stuff for you to comment on? So I've got one and I'm not gonna name the, the uh, specifics of where the story comes from. But the, the leader in question has an employee who on surface accepts the mission, accepts the team's role. But at the end of the day, the employee does not move within the team. The the employee shows they are very much after the leadership role themselves and will often do things on their own without communicating with the team, sometimes to very poor results and poor standard of work. What advice would you give that leader to help them motivate that team member to, to buy into the team? And show them that that is actually better for their career than trying to do all these solo projects that kind of make everyone look bad.
1: That's a good scenario. Hmm. So what it sounds like is that, like you're saying, they're, they're trying to, to pad their resume. They're trying to, to look, they want the, the recognition of self and their abilities, whether gunning for the, you know, my job as the supervisor, or not acknowledgement that they want to advance is the first step. So they feel like they don't have to go around or outside of the chain of command or the department as a whole to get that done. So in saying, you know, it looks like uh, that you, you want to do uh, things to, to, you know, you want, you have projects that you want to do and where do you, there's that question where it really comes into play is where do you see yourself? What kind of role would you like to aspire to? And let me help you do that effectively. You know, we can, we can find ways within the department that will make everybody look better and not even look better. It will, it will help the department and help you at the same time to reach these goals. Right. And that's a hard thing to address sometimes because it might be threatening Uh, from the leader's standpoint. You might feel like, yes, they're gunning for my job. But what I've seen nine times out of 10 is that you are a better leader for making someone else better. It doesn't become a threat to you because you will look like you are the one that helped groom that future leader to whatever position they get to. And if the person is a decent person, they will recognize that you helped them and did not hold them back from that if they're not a decent person that's a different story and that's your toxic worst place and your toxic employees of which there are some but sometimes they just don't know that there is a way to to work within the structure to still uh get what they want to get done
0: so i've got another one for you too so what Would you say to a leader who works in one of those kind of environments that we talked about before, where the environment very much is do your job or we will replace you
1: in those organizations that have have that very numbers driven mindset and that and that 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 that, um, ability to to lose people readily. Speaks to a culture that that looks at the results and the outcomes versus the individuals that are the result of those outcomes. So to change that kind of mindset, we have to speak their language. In working in the, the ways that we want to, like we discussed with um, bringing someone back from the brink, for example, or, or growing someone into something that is better than when they started. If we're able to then turn that into numbers of productivity of dollars saved in retraining and then what are the outcomes of the department pre-improvement to post-improvement of that individual if, if that is something a metric that can be tracked and then you show as a case study this is what was and this is what happened and here's the numbers that reflect that why would you not want to buy into this methodology if you can prove that it is effective on in their language
0: makes total sense so on the other side of that for that same leader if they're able to show that to their their supervisors and start changing the culture there what about on their teams because you have to imagine if a team is working in this kind of environment where it's led to a culture of fear do this do this do this or you're out there may almost be a temptation from the team members to think oh, if it's all of a sudden this kind of motivational, inspirational kind of invest in you mentality, that that leader may be a pushover. So how do you draw that balance and that line to help those, those uh, team members see the benefit in this kind of leading and still be able to hold people accountable in that mindset when being fired isn't the carrot being dangled in front of them anymore?
1: Right. Oftentimes I've said to, to colleagues, not necessarily employees, but do not mistake my kindness for weakness. There is, there is a point, of course, where it's, where it's like, no, this is, then that, that, no, we have to do it. You know, we have to take some steps here. In order to, to marry that uh, and start to shift that first, as with any shift, small steps. So a little stages stages, scaffold that process. So maybe if, if we're already re- working in that environment of, of a very harsh rule through fear versus rule through love uh, mentality, then we ease back a little bit on some of those um, absolutes, right? And we, we slowly kind of turn and So okay, it's not, not so bad, but we don't have to like go all the way to the other side where everything's okay, uh, at least from their point of view. Clear expectations. If if those are set ahead of time, you don't have to be uh, a jerk about it. If you have said very clearly, this is this is what we're going to do. We've talked about it. We have set that goal. You know, uh, we need to get this done, and this is when we got to get it done by. If we don't, you know, we're going to have to do X, Y, and Z. You know, and that may be a couple of extra steps removed from termination. You know, if if they have that pathway of You know, there's a coaching or there's a performance improvement, you know, but you can say you rely on the process uh, to be the enforcer or the stick. It doesn't have to come from you as a person. And as long as that expectation is set up front and they know it, again, you don't have to, I think there's less resistance and less anger if you have to go that route. And usually, no, when you set set that and they know ahead of time, well, don't do that thing because I know what's going to happen. I'm not surprised by that that makes sense.
0: Yeah. So on that, it sounds like a lot of the evaluation process is as important as anything else, right? Because from, my hear, from what I hear what you're saying is you set the expectations, then you go back and revisit those expectations. So in the eval process, how do you build accountability in that,
1: that, that process of sitting down with your employees? That's exactly how you do it. I think when we approach the evaluation uh, cycle and things. There's always these these rules on how it should be done, what questions you should be asking, uh, what you should say, what you shouldn't say. And while all of those are are true to a certain extent, I think we lose the conversation aspect that can occur there, the discussion. That's just how do you think you're doing? And that's that's a my mentor, my current mentor. That's how he did it with me, with with my evaluation. He said, let's just talk. I know you felt out all these questions and rated yourself and gave your explanations from that. Just tell me, how's it going for the past 45 days or however long our review was, what are your thoughts? How am I doing as a leader? Am I giving you everything you need? All right. What are your goals moving forward? So it was a really, the onus was a lot on me as part of that evaluation process. I didn't feel like I was being um, judged and, and rated per se Um, even though I was and then but I, I had a lot more input into that discussion and then after he had asked me these questions and kind of drew out of me what I wanted to do what I thought it was what my perceptions of the entire um last period of time was then he said okay well this is what I've seen and this is what I want from you and and he was able to really kind of uh align those so that we're both on the same page and both going in the same direction. So I think it's that con, exactly what you said, that conversation aspect to, to really, I, I think we, we lose that we become too formalized that as a time to sit down and, and really talk about what, uh, what the progress is and how we can improve.
0: So would you say a lot of the motivational process, whether you're talking about the improvement process, the evaluation, the expectation process, would you say a lot of it boils down to putting ownership on the, the group for a lot of these decisions instead of just saying, I'm the leader, it's my way?
1: Absolutely. And while we have, as leaders, a vision of where we want the car to go, the car's got the way to make it happen. And what I mean by that is they will surprise you and if you're, if you're saying, this is what we need done, but then you let them figure out the way to do it, they will come up with some very innovative ways that work best with their particular strengths and talents and hopefully the department as a whole. And if it, if it works, if the end result is what you needed it to be, who cares how you got there, right? And then they feel like they have that buy-in because they had a part, I helped build this. I wasn't just, you know, told... Uh, and forced to do it i had i had insight into the way this ended up being the way it is the, the the crafting of it there's my stamp on it and so yes the ownership the initiative is driven from that and i think we'll, we'll make it easier you don't you don't have to 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 drive that uh as hard you just set it out there and then let them figure out how to get there and then you guide that of course you. There will be things while there may be very innovative ways, there may be some ways that are not so efficient and then you can help refine that, you know, but still let them have their hand in it.
0: So that just made me think of something else. And while you're talking about building this ownership on your team and how you give them that freedom, it made me think about any of these leadership books any of us have read in our profession where the, the author makes it sound like this process is so easy. You walk into a meeting one day and say, team, I'm going to let y'all help make the decisions. And it becomes a shangri-la work environment. Realistically, that's not how it works. Right? So what is your process for kind of building this mentality on your teams?
1: I have, I have read lots of those books as well. And, and while there are some things that are very useful as with anything, I think if you find the parts that work best in your given environment and kind of, uh, I look at it like a buffet and it's like, oh, I like this and that and then here, and let's put that together and that's my plate of, of tools to use. Um, personally, I try to keep it as simple as possible for myself as well as my team. If there's too many steps in my head, I'm gonna forget them. Uh, so I try to start with some broad strokes always broad strokes to kind of get things started. And then you can go in for the detail work. I, I have been guilty of really fixating on a, a very small thing to its, fine, to its finite conclusion to the distraction of everything else. And so the house is burning down and, but I got this one thing polished up real good. So broad, general, easy to approach. And usually it, it's, let's figure out what, and I, I picked this one up from uh, The Program, which was a, a book on um, this group that motivates and, and really works with uh, professional sports teams and how to get the best performance out of them. And they were uh, a group that was military based and they took a lot of their their principles of training to that. But the the best thing that stick with me that I'm really a fan of is, is three, Three values, a lot of companies, a lot of departments, a lot of organizations have like a value statement. Here's our mission goals and our values. And, and they talk about this in the book, there's like you know, 14, 15 of them. No one's gonna remember all that, it's too many. Three, three is a good number. People people like things come in threes, even like jokes. Uh, there's that setup, bah, bah, and then the punchline. We, we are built for that, that number and that structure. So three values that sum up what you wanna get done, right? Uh, so And that can change. Um, but what, what we had was accountability, selflessness, and growth, right? So whatever you do, however we do it, okay, we're gonna be accountable for, for our actions and, and the outcomes of them. We're gonna be selfless. Uh, and we're doing this for our students, for the department, and everything that we do should stem from that. And we want to promote growth, not only in ourselves uh, as educators, as professionals, but also growth of the program. More students, better satisfaction, better outcomes, more uh, employment percentages afterwards. For instance, that's where our numbers uh, live in: is, is completion and employment. So. We could always re- rely on those three to come back to any decision they make, any um, initiative they were were trying to do, or wh- ways they did things, even if we were coaching or saying, you know, how does that tie to accountability, selflessness, or growth? And if it's out of alignment with that, it becomes clear to them too, because it doesn't fit into that, but it helps guide them. Uh, and that's that's the unifying vision, regardless of what they how they feel about how to do it, or each other, for that matter. If they are all on board with those three things, it takes them outside of themselves uh, in order to to further the goals of the department.
0: That is. Awesome. So obviously, a, a kind of process like that, if you're coming into a new team, and this is kind of a new concept and way of operating for them, this isn't going to happen overnight. This isn't going to be like you're going to walk in day one, everyone's like, here are our three expectations and values, and we're ready to go. Um, it's, it's clearly a, a process. So as you're going down this path with a new team, how do you know you're on the right track as you're building this? What are kind of your, your benchmarks to success over time as you're getting there?
1: After that initial assessment period, you know, we can't start it uh, from jump. They're going to lose their minds. But it is also hard, especially if you come in and and you know what it could be and what it should be from your vision that they don't have yet. And you just want to just get it out there. It's real hard to be patient, real hard to sit there and say, I'm going to watch everything, you know. And We try to do that a lot. I've tried to do it where I'm like, okay, okay, I'm gonna sit back. And a week later, okay, I think I know everything. And then I find out, no, actually, I got my first impressions, but it wasn't the real impression because there was a lot of other factors I was not even aware of. I usually give it now at least least a month of observation of what's going on to see how all of the, the different elements interplay and how they they rely on each other, whether it's policies and procedures, uh, the ways we do things and why we do them, which then allows me to go, okay, now that I see how all these things, I know we can slowly start to modify. And again, slow, patience is the key on that one. It's hard to expect massive change in a very rapid period of time, but to get lasting, true change, it takes it takes a little bit of time to, to shift those uh, viewpoints, right? So after taking that month to assess and to really pinpoint what areas uh, need to be changed, both with the employee motivation uh, and any department process that may actually be impeding that motivation, and by talking with your employees and getting that feedback, because they're gonna wanna tell you what they've seen, or what they feel about it. If I were to go back to my, my three values starting place, depending on how many employees we had, it doesn't even matter I'd say, listen, I want to, to put these values into play. It's going to, to influence all the potential changes or things we keep the same, but we're gonna use this to guide that. And I've got one, I need two more. And here's your list of potential ones. What speaks to you? And there's another point where we, we give them the option to, to have buy-in because they are contributing. Because any vision, any goal is good once you once you put it down to paper, right? You can make anything tie into what you needed to do. And so they got to pick and then they do it. None says we can't come back later and say these have worked very good for us to, to get us going in this right direction. Let's pick three more goals and make that our new, or three more values and, and try and work things with that. And then it becomes a game, which is a whole ne- another level type of motivation is, is that attainment uh, motivation when they want to beat that level. Sorry, uh, rabbit hole. But yes, yeah, so we can we can make this fun in all so many levels, but also be having an end result.
0: I love that. I've never heard someone gamify team development before and i want you to talk more about that you said rabbit hole how do you make that game environment how do you actually tell them hey this is like a game and we're going to go to the next level how do you how do you build that out
1: my company is is the current one that i'm at is is very much that's one of their their tagline is level up uh whatever it causes to do that so that's that's great and I've always been a fan of, of even for myself, uh, the whole gamification idea, which we're seeing more in education uh, across the board. They understand why does a student, why does a kid, a teenager, a grown adult like myself sometimes, end up spending six hours playing a video game because they want to beat that level. They want to get that completion. It It satisfies a neurotransmitter in their brain. So if we frame... Uh, the the expectations that we're looking for with the numbers of the percentages and say if we hit this level this is what we get then we're we're kind of meeting that idea right so example in in education right if we manage to reach a population for our program of 80 students right 80 students then we can uh we're gonna go we're gonna go have pizza right or I'm gonna we're gonna go Watch a movie, it's gonna be paid for. Okay, okay, that's something. There's an extrinsic reward for that. Let's see if we can get there. If we don't, there's no consequence. Just like if you lose the game, nothing happens to you bad, you just get pissed off. So the chance of reward with with little risk involved is part of the game uh, mindset, right? And then how do we dress that up to make it look like a game? Do we have a leaderboard that shows the progress where it's like, and so they have high scores on a video game. You know, well, I want to beat that department. I want to beat that score. You know, is it a personal challenge? Is it a group, uh, department challenge? Whatever you want it to be. But then you get that, that sense of competition, friendly competition involved. And with COVID, let's have a game board on the web that everybody can just dial into uh, and see the standings.
0: And you just brought me down another rabbit hole. On that same note, COVID has fundamentally changed how a lot of businesses are operating now. There are plenty of companies now that are even saying, once we get back to normal, we're not even going back to the office. And that I think provides a lot of heartburn for some of these really involved leaders who are now thinking, how do I sustain
1: motivation when I'm not even in the same room with my team most days? You are correct. And I've seen that uh, the, the siloing effect that is occurring uh is across the board. There is something to be said for the group, collecting of the group, group activities that build that camaraderie, that sense of togetherness that is absolutely absent in this type of of landscape. Uh, You feel very much uh, alone and are not part of, of the collective. So. Now Zoom and meet and those kinds of things allow us to still see each other. And, and it is one level of interaction, which is good. Uh, it, is, it is made a lot better than what it could be. And I find it very interesting how it has kind of forced the evolution of, of that kind of uh, interaction to the forefront. Uh, we, we, were not, uh, we were not savvy with Zoom before quarantine, that's absolute truth. We rarely used it; didn't know it was kind of terrifying uh, to us. But now we are, you know, very, very proficient at it. And so, that's one way is is to have those touch points, those interactions, even virtually, to maintain that connection. It's hard right now, you know. Being aware of it's the first step. Talking about it, I think, is is another too. Even drawing my team's attention to it, saying, Hey, I know this is, this is a tough time where we're going through and acknowledging that and saying, you know, this is this is what I fear is happening, that can also kind of help slow that down a little bit because at least we're not ignoring it and letting it fester in the back of our minds.
0: That makes sense. And I think as a leader myself who tries to to keep people engaged and motivated, I think I'm feeling that hurt a little bit too, right? That we know the issue is there now and now we have to figure out how do we sustain and I think you're exactly right I think knowing is half the battle I think some of these things you've talked about the gamification um, the getting back to what our values are as an organization I think those are probably the first the very first steps but this I think is for a lot of leaders this, this online world is here to stay and so Maybe that's the next conversation, is how do new leaders come up prepared for this? And so I think that brings me to, to, to the last topic of today before we run out of time here. Sure. Um, and that is, what do you think the next generation of leaders really needs to know to be successful as they come up, all things considered from COVID to the beginning of time? you know, As leaders coming up, what are, what are those key points that they really need to, to thrive?
1: I have a few key ones that have resonated with me and driven a lot of the ways that I approach these situations for, for my own personal reasons. And there's many ways to say the same concept, but I will say lions don't have to roar. You're a lion. They're just gonna listen to you uh, and trust in in that, which leads back to our thing of, you know, uh, I'm boss and you're gonna say, because I'm the boss versus, no, no, no. I'm just gonna. You're just going to follow what I'm saying, and we're gonna. You'll. We'll get you there, and that that is also helps defeat the, the imposter syndrome, that we discussed, or the the fear of insecurity about your position or your authority, rather. so know you're lying. You don't. You don't have to draw a show. Don't tell. And so that's another big one that's tied to that, like demonstrate. By your actions, by your willingness to to help them and the department get better, that that's that's what a leader does, right? I'm just not going to tell you I'm the leader. I'm going to show you, and this is I'm going to show you. Like, how do we demonstrate that so people want to follow us, right? Not because they have to, because they want to. That's, that's what that's the, the meat of that, which then leads to my other statement. I, I, I'm, I'm a victim of, of taglines and cliches, right? But leadership is action, not position, which is another way of saying the same thing, right? Do it. And, and that also ties into those who aren't leaders yet, but want to practice those skills is you don't have to be in the, in the captain's seat uh, to do leadership things. Just like the scenario you described with the one who was trying to do things on their own, they probably didn't understand how best to, to do that, right? But you can certainly demonstrate leadership traits and potential without um, being, quote unquote, the leader. Just by getting your fellow co-workers to get on board with whatever vision the actual leader is, is asking for and you're ability to rally the troops, that's, that's leadership already. And a good leader will recognize that. Those are my kind of my key takeaways in that.
0: Well, Mark, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on today. Um, I think that your expertise in motivating and encouraging teams is something we can all learn from. So thank you so much for coming on.
1: Um, and, and we certainly hope to hear from you in the future. Thank you, Daniel. I appreciate it. Anytime.
0: Finding Leadership Podcast is a production of Leaderform Media. For more information about today's guest or links to any of the things we discussed, please check out the episode notes at anchor.fm or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Thank you for listening.